streets of Cincinnati, welcome to the jungle! What's going on? Welcome to the show. This is Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm your host, the Iceman, Jeff Trunapole. And as always, I'm bringing you sports from a west side point of view right here in the great city of Cincinnati, Ohio, home of Jackpot Joey Burrow and the AFC North champion Cincinnati Bengals. Now, do me a favor. If you found the show, hit that like and subscribe button. Smash that thumbs up. I'm up to 1,547 subscribers. That is awesome. Awesome. You guys are rocking. So, if you're watching on Facebook or Twitter and you have yet to subscribe to my channel, why not? Go to the YouTube channel, Sports with Strawberry Ice. Hit the subscription button. Hit the bell for notification. And every time I go live, you'll be notified. Also, exclusively in the YouTube chat crew, we're doing Super Chat. So, if you want to make sure your question gets uh, read by me or Joe Goodberry, give me a Super Chat. I would greatly appreciate it. Also, just to help support me and give me a Super Chat, I would greatly appreciate it. And as always, I'm coming to you live from the Ice Cave. The Ice Cave is brought to you by T-Properties. T-Properties, 
quality housing for quality peoples. Check out the website at www.tpropertiesllc.com for all your rental property management needs and your rental needs. What's up to everybody in the chat crew? We got Crosby, got Tim, Charles, Crowns in there, Augie, Haas, Greg Luther. What's going on, everybody? Glad you guys are able to join the show. And like I said uh, in my tweets of the uh, show today, this has been Goodberry Week. Now, Joe's got a lot of lot to step up for today because Glenn killed it yesterday. I'm just saying, you know. For, for not really talking a whole lot of Bengals, we talk wings, we talk beer, we talk about putting guys through tables. You know, it was a really interesting conversation. But today, we're getting down and dirty, and we're talking NFL draft. Let's get to Joe. Joe, what's going on, brother? What's up, Jeff? How you doing, buddy? Good, man. Good, man. I'm 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 ready for this draft. I don't know about you, but I I'm definitely ready for this draft. I actually could probably use a couple extra weeks. You know, the season went a little long, and then free agency went a little long with the whole layout Collins thing. Felt like you know that that took forever for those few days to go by, and then uh, and then I was able to dive into the tape. So I'm kind of late on a lot of these guys. Uh, you know, some of my takes are outdated or causing <laughs> a stir a little bit, and then uh, so I could use probably a few more weeks if I want to get to some of these lower ranked corners or tight ends or defensive ends or wherever we want to go here. But uh, you, go. you know, I'm, I'm you know it's exciting time. Hey, we, we we got we got some we got some stars here in the chat. We we got somebody named Glenn Barry. We got Zim Hude in there. We got some. You we, we you get on the show. You you bring out the big guns when when you jump on the show, Joe. Oh, I don't know about all that. Zim, <laughs> Zim's the big gun out there. I see him, and then my, my brother already showed me up yesterday, coming in, being all cool and calm like he does this all the time. Exactly. He like I said, he killed it. Uh, Zim and uh, Ace they started a new show uh, yesterday called Wincinnati. It was pretty cool. So if you guys have that checked out, I'll definitely go check out my boys, Ace and Zim, on their new uh, show called Wincinnati. All right, so let's get to this this 31 here. And this is – you kind of brought it up yesterday, and I, I've I've been saying I wanted this guy, you know, probably – when I, I didn't really look at the draft during the season, not much at all. You know, I, I kept hearing about Lindenbaum, Lindenbaum, Lindenbaum. So I started looking a little, little bit of stuff up about him. I'm like, hey, that'd be a good guy to get. You know, and then we fixed the offense line. You know, we got uh, – Lyle, we got Kapka, we got Karras. So I'm like, I don't know if he's going to be there. Now, we've come out with all these different mock drafts that Linamog could be there. There's a very good chance he could be there. And I did a poll on my YouTube channel today, which I am very surprised at the, the results. I got 49 votes here. And I said, what do you think the Bengals' biggest need is? And I put cornerback or center. I got 98%. Cornerback, and I got two percent center. I think two percent was you. <laughs> no, I, it wasn't okay. me voting on that, but you're. I, it's probably the way you phrased it, being corner or center. If you'd have said left guard, because I did yeah. the same thing, I got a. It still went way corner. I think sixty-eight percent or something said corner. So I'm with you. So kind of surprised at how many people, uh, you know, put that as need number one right now. Uh, dude, I, I mean, I am with with Zim here. I I want Leonard Ball all day long. If you get him at center. You fit. You have all five of our offensive linemen are legit offensive linemen. Our mm-hmm. legit is fixed, and everybody keeps everybody's killing me with this. Well, Ted Karras is a center. People, Ted Karras played guard more than he's played center. He played guard last year, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he played it what I think two years. Is that what we're? He's actually played center at. He's uh, played some right guard. He's played some left guard. Left left guard last year completely. Center for the Dolphins the year before that, and then when he finally got on the field the year before that uh, was center and guard. So it uh, he is. I think they want him to play center, but that's 
I think he wants to be a center too. But I think the when it comes to like a Linderbaum, if you get the chance to get him, things change. You the reason you sign a guy with versatility and you tout his versatility in a Ted Karras is because that may be something you need to exploit, which means, all right, Ted, you got to go play left guard, which he played last year, and he was fantastic for the Patriots. Um, so, I, I, you know, when I look at it, uh, I don't get too worried about where Karras is supposed to play. I've had the same comments, people telling me, well, uh, Zach Taylor doesn't lie, and he said he's a center. Yeah, he's a center right now because no. he's the best center on the roster. Right. I mean, that, that's how coaches speak. That's how it works. Uh, until there's a better center on the roster or your best five, you'll always hear coaches talk about the best five, Best five in that scenario, if you get a Linderbaum, is uh, moving Karras to left guard. And, you know, for the people that don't, you know, maybe watch the film or don't know who Tyler Linderbaum is and why we started talking about him, I think a little bit more recently, like Tony Pauling of the Pro Pro Football Network said he expects Linderbaum to be there in round two or if not the last few picks of round one, which is obviously where the Bengals are. And then we had two mocks, uh, I think it was Todd McShay and Charles Davis, from ESPN and NFL.com, respectively, both had them taken Tyler Linderbaum at 31. What does Linderbaum do? What is Who is he? What can he do for you? Why is he so highly touted? And why could he still be there? So that's two sides of it. If a guy's so highly touted, how is he still there at 31, right? right? So on film, when you watch him, super athlete. The guy is, I mean, when anytime screens or if he's got to get out in space or if he's got to climb and get to a linebacker, you, you're drooling watching this guy. He's, he would be their most athletic offensive lineman easily. And when you, when you see the way he never misses on a second level block, when you, when you've got to work in unison with your guard, get to that um, defensive tackle and then peel up and go to that linebacker and, and seal him off as your running backs cutting behind you. He is perfect. I don't know if I've ever seen him miss on one of these blocks. Uh, so like you look at that and you're like wide zone. This man is an ideal center looking like Jason Kelsey uh, of the Eagles, former Cincinnati Bearcat, right? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, sir. So you got to be able to reach. You got to have that athleticism to reach to get these three techs. Get out, twist in front of them, torque. Get your hands underneath and flip them so your running back can get behind you. Linderbaum, a plus at that as well. Uh, where does he falter? He's only two hundred ninety pounds and he's got short arms. We saw this when he when he shows up at the combine. He doesn't work out. He didn't even bench press. He's got a sprained foot apparently from his last uh, game at Iowa. Uh, because of that, he's got thirty one and some change inch arms on the short side of that. That is like extremely, that's off the grid for centers. You want a guy that's at least 32, and that would be short. Uh, people talk about Billy Price with short arms. He had 32-inch arms. So this we're talking even shorter than Billy Price's arms. And then no workout. I'm against drafting anyone who doesn't work out because I want to make sure I know. I, I would think he'd be like a 95th percentile athlete. But tape has lied to me before, right? <laughs> I've been I've thought guys are super athletic and get on the field. They're like, yeah, he's not too athletic. I wish he would have tested. Uh, that would be the case for Linderbaum. I would trust what I see on film and think he's a great athlete, but those are reasons why he would fall. So you've got a guy who um, you're worried about his size, not just length, but weight. You're worried about his strength. I mean, he could bench at any time now with a sprained foot. You would think he hasn't done that yet. Um, and then you worry about uh, him not testing completely and how that affects his draft stock, and that's how you get pushed down. Plus, we should say, because I've, I've had these comments as well, well, a top 15 player shouldn't be there at 31. That should give you pause. Centers don't get taken that high. The highest right. centers go 20 mm-hmm. in that range, maybe 18 sometimes, maybe 20 in Frank Ragnow's area. Bengals taking Billy Price at 21 is like the maximum you take a center. So, like, dropping 10 picks isn't that crazy for him. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and the thing is, before the short arms thing – 
he was going to be up there in the top 10, top 15. I, I think for everything that I was hearing. Yeah. And I know everybody is, is when we hear the short arms, it freaks all Bengals fans out because of Billy Price. But he, like I said, I watched the tape on him, and I'm not a, 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 as big of a draft guy as, as like you. I don't watch as much tape as you you do, but I have there's certain guys I watch stuff on, and that I really like, so I definitely want to watch it. And and from what I've seen him, he's a beast. And he and the Bengals with the Bengals zone blocking scheme that fits him perfect. Yeah, so that's where I'm just like, if he's there, I'm taking him because all we heard about last year is protect Joe, protect Joe, protect Joe. Well, you got a chance to like completely like totally protect him why wouldn't you want to do it and give him a center he can grow with ted Karras is 29 yes. years old right. you know you give him a guy that you know here this is going to be your guy we see a lot of quarterbacks with their center for like five ten years you kind of want them envious of that you know if, if you want to clean up protections and, and and communication up front you have the same two guys calling it with quarterback and center for a long time that would be that would go a long way i think in cleaning up a lot of these sacks and miscommunications but that also is another reason you bring up how um how good of a fit he would be with the Bengals in that zone blocking scheme is also why he wouldn't fit every team. Right. Because a lot of centers you see that come in the league, they're like, teams are like, okay, we'll play him at guard the first year, get him acclimated, then move him to center before he makes a call. So they did it with Frank Ragnow in Detroit. It's one of the things I think the Bengals messed up with Billy Price was putting him right at center. Um, Linderbaum is a center only because of the size. You really can't put that guy at guard at, at that size with that length. Um, so when you see that, that that's going to, probably rub some teams the wrong way. They're probably not going to want to spend that high of a pick on a guy that can only play one position. Uh, and then being zone blocking specific, which I think he is, probably will also burn some teams. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, I know people keep talking about cornerback, and 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 which I, I think is is a need as well. Um, so let's just say, let's say Linda Mama isn't there. To me, if he's there, I think the Bengals are taking him. If he's not there, I think they're going to take a, a cornerback. And he, that brings me to Elam. And I've had guys on here who from they love him or they are to where they wouldn't draft him until the third round. Where, where are you at on Elam? He's to me, he's the most controversial corner cornerback I've had discuss, discussions about. Yeah, I like Elam, but I think, you know, as the farther I go into this deeper, deeper into the corner list, watching these guys, I might like the parts more than the whole with Elam. And the, the reason is because, um, you like his size. You like his athleticism. I like his ball skills. I like when he turns and runs, he's got his back to the ball, no panic. And it reaches up and makes a play on the ball. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's uh, that's real good. And then you see some other times where I'm like, okay, uh, why are you grabbing this dude? Like, why you, they they press him a bunch as much as any corner, I feel like, in college football. And that kind of carries throughout the entire route where he wants hands on guys and he's going to keep, you know, tugging, pulling, getting to the top routes. I think out routes, comeback routes, hitches and digs. He's just got his hands all over these guys. I think he had seven penalties in 10 games. You just don't want to be at almost one for one rate of, of giving up penalties. It, it kind of the way he grabs reminds me sometimes of Drake Kirkpatrick. Mm -hmm. And as a cover guy, and, and to equate these guys to Bengals players, so I think some you know general audience can know who we're talking about. Type is almost a William Jackson in coverage, right. where it's like, okay, I like the parts, and there's times where I'm like, whoo, the boy, that boy looks good out there. He's doing some work. He's he, you know it's hard to beat him over top. Keep testing him because I I feel confident. There's other times where I'm like, all right, just gave up that catch and moving on to the next play. Okay, then you know it seems to not bother him to let a let up an eight yard you know out route and just keep moving. Um, I like him and I like the parts. I do think there's some development there, maybe some maturity still to go, and maybe they can turn him into a, a better player. But I do think he's a press man corner where we talk about fit for the Bengals, Bengals played a lot of zone right? and they played a lot of off zone. And I, I think, you know, if, if you're taking Elam, he maybe enhances your scheme where you can do more man coverage. 
Um, or they may not like him and say, we may be ra- rather an Andrew Booth, or we may be rather a Kyler Gordon. Now that, that brings you to the booth. That's, that's the other one I've heard, I heard a lot about is, is booth is, is where, where are you comparing him to Elam? Which if you had your choice, I said, those two are sitting there, which one would you take? I would probably take Elam. Uh, both guys. I feel similarly on tape where I like the parts with booth. He didn't play a lot last year because of uh, the Clemson and, and that conference not playing much in the COVID year. Right. So you really got one this last year of, of tape on him. Um, I think he's a strong physical corner or a guy that's not afraid to come up and hit. He'll, he'll take a receiver that's in front of him and block him right into the running back. That's going into the flats. Uh, he just goes through guys. And I like his aggressive play style. I do think that leads at times to being over aggressive in his coverages, maybe carrying a guy a little bit too long in zone uh, and also missing tackles. Uh, I think at times he lives his feet and drops his eyes a little bit too much. Super willing tackler. Like he's not afraid to get in there and be physical. He's this guy's rocked up, yoked up. He's ready to get in there, but he he also misses a lot. And I, when I was entering the PFF data today into my, um, into my spreadsheet uh, and Jake Lisko and I, we, we combine and make a spreadsheet to try and balance how we feel about these players. Uh, the data wasn't kind. I think he was missing 29% of his tackles at PFF, Ooh. right? That's one out of three, basically you're missing. Right. Uh, I think he had 35 tackles and 11 misses, which that's not great, you know, uh, for a guy, guy that's physical. And I think is a good player against the run, or at least in the physical uh, portions of being a, def- a defensive back, he was definitely good at that. I had concerns with his long speed. And overall athleticism, I think he would have been an okay athlete and maybe a slightly above a- athlete. He never tested. So the same logic I use for Linderbaum, where it kind of scares me away. I thought Linderbaum was an elite athlete on tape. Okay. Uh, from my history, it looks like uh, guys that don't test. I did a whole study on this as well. Your chances of finding a pro bowler on a guy that doesn't test are about 25% chance. If you take a guy that's an elite athlete in the first round, this is just first round. If you take a guy that's elite athlete, like a relative athletic score of an eight plus, you have a 47% chance to draft a pro bowler. So if you're going to draft a guy that doesn't test a guy like Linderbaum and a, and a booth, the difference I it's finding in that 25% are, do they look like an elite athlete on tape guys uh, like a Nick Bosa or, or, you know, if they have a bad production score or guys that don't test like a, um, who was the, Oh, it's going to nag me now. Cause I just saw his name, <laughs> a recent high draft pick, a defensive end didn't test at all, but you're like, he, and I oh, 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 for, oh, for Oregon. Um, no, not this year, last oh, year, oh, last oh. year. And I'm trying to remember who it was, but it, it doesn't matter. Point is yeah. that there's a bunch of these guys that, um, when you watch him on tape, you're like, Oh yeah, he's a, he's an elite athlete, but he's not going to test. Cause he knows he's a top 10 pick. Right. Right. Um, so like those guys tend to work out still. And I think Linderbaum's more of that, where Booth is kind of the one that scares me a little more because okay. I didn't think he was a tremendous athlete. I don't think he would have tested well. I think he's kind of not testing because of that, um, whereas Linderbaum is saying he has an injury, so who really knows? So I actually would probably take Elam over that. I think Booth might be a better fit mm-hmm. than Elam. I think Elam could make your scheme a little bit more dynamic and get allow you, allow you to do a little bit different. I think his upside may be a little bit higher. But to be honest, I like Kyler Gordon from Washington better than both of them. Mm, there you go. But uh, but the but thing is, I guess the point is, if Leonard Baum is there, you're taking him, right? Oh, for sure. I He's going to end up, even without the grade for athletic testing, he's probably going to end up a top 20 guy. Uh, we got Greg Luther there asking a question, who would I compare Leonard Baum to? I think it is Jason Kelsey uh, for the Eagles. And it's funny, too, because you got to look at that and how the Eagles play with Kelsey is they don't let him go one-on-one with big nose tackles that can move. 
they're like, nah, you're too small. We're not going to let you wreck our offense. They'll actually let the guards help the center. And a lot of time when you watch football, it's the center helping the guards. The Eagles have made a career and said, listen, we're not going to, we're not going to mess you up out there, uh, Kelsey. We're going to let the guards help you on these guys if we can, because defenses want to attack your weakness, right? So they know right. uh, Kelsey's not a big dude. We're going to send guys right at him. We're going to put a guy right over him. Uh, but in the run game, he's fantastic. In uh, the same way I feel about Linderbaum. Linderbaum's fantastic in the run game. If he gets left one on one against a big dude, he can get pushed back. He's got a great anchor. Otherwise, you know. So that's why we got Cap Harris on the sides of him. <laughs> exactly. And yes, exactly. You'd have great guards next mm-hmm. to Linderbaum, where it wouldn't be an issue, especially with how smart uh, Karras is. And the reason he won his starting job with the Patriots is because of communication. So if you try and bring extra stuff, or if he needs help, he's going to be able to help Linderbaum. Um, so like. Like it would be such a low concern for me in terms of that. And the guy who would really benefit the most is Joe Mixon in the run game because oh, of how good Linderbaum is at getting to the second level and eliminating uh-huh. linebackers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bengals would just be so much more dynamic. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm just so sold on Linderbaum. And I, I hope I hope he drops. I, I'm praying he drops. That, that would be awesome. Now I want to get you know as you know I'm a Bearcat fan here, so I want to get to some of my Bearcats here. But let's get the crib here. He says, Joe, do you see Alec Pierce? as being a Bengal to replace Boyd after this year in the draft, maybe in the third round? I do not. I think Alec Pierce is an outside uh, vertical wide receiver. I don't see him being a uh, slot, quick uh, quick twitch type, type guy. Not that you have to be in the slot. Like, you know, uh, Boyd isn't the quickest dude. He runs really good, great routes. He's got great hands. Excuse me. And he uh, catches very well in contested situations. Boyd does. Uh, Pierce has really good body control, really good ball tracking, great hands. Uh, in, in terms of 50-50 balls, you throw it up to him, I feel pretty confident he's going to come down with it, and he can stretch the field. Uh, his agility numbers weren't great, which I think lends to what I'm seeing on tape in terms of his uh, in and out of breaks and short area quickness, which is, I think the Bengals will look for a receiver, but of that type. Maybe it's a guy that can help as a punt returner. Maybe it's a slot guy that can be a gadget type. You can do like end rounds with him, reverses, screens. Uh, whatever the case may be there, you can get a little creative. But he could also, this guy, this hypothetical fourth, fifth round, sixth round guy that they draft, uh, right. could potentially replace Tyler Boyd on the slot in a, in two years or so. Because Boyd, after this contract, is done with the Bengals. Yeah, I, absolutely. You, well, it, it just has to be what it is. Especially the way the wide receiver market is just going freaking crazy. I mean, yeah. Stephon, I did a little little video earlier today. Stephon Diggs signed a $64 million contract extension. You got him, then you got Hill and and Miami yeah. and all, all these other huge contracts that are going on. And it kind of brings me off topic off the draft a little bit here. It's just something that I have in my head is before like around Super Bowl time, I was like, you know, in a couple of years, there's no problem. We're going to be able to sign T Higgins and Jamar chase. Now I'm kind of thinking, I don't know if they can sign both of them. Cause I mean, there's no, to me, if they're looking for these kind of contract and you also got Joe Burrow, who you know, they're going to resign Jesse Bates getting his long-term contract might be out the window. Tyler Boyd, they're not resigning him. Joe Mixon, they're not resigning him after their contracts are up. I'm kind of more concerned if they can afford both of them in the next couple of years, being T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. You know, it sucks we even have to look that far, right? Because you right. should be maximizing this next two years. Right. Like, you should be worried about this only. Like, this mm-hmm. window is never going to be wider than it is right now. The right. window will be open as long as you have Joe Burrow because you have Absolutely. an elite quarterback and you, you feel good about it. As long as you can you know, don't completely fall off drafting and signing guys. You should right. be fine. Right. But, but the two year window that you currently have before you have to extend these guys that we're worried about while they're cheap, 
Mm-hmm. You should be – they got $12 million still in cap space. Mm-hmm. The Bills mm-hmm. just did this extension with two hundred k in cap mm-hmm. space, two hundred k and they give a $64 million deal to Stephon Diggs. Now, that created more cap space because they turned his salary into a roster bonus and created $10 million, we think. We don't know the numbers yet, but that's probably right. what they did is create $10 million in cap space. The Bengals can do these. They can do the same things. They could actually extend Jesse Bates and lower his cap hit and create even more money. Um, so I, while I'm with everyone that's worried about that future, the reason we're worried about that future is because we're seeing it right now that they did a lot in free agency, but did they do enough? Mm-hmm. I would say no, because we're sitting here worried about corner. We're, they need a starting defensive tackle. They lost Larry Ogunjobi, and want, they need to replace some snaps there. I they want, need uh, a left guard still. I, I still think they might be able to get uh, 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 all crud. Cornerback from from New England, um, Stephon Gilmore. Thank you, Stephon Gilmore. I, still, I kept want to say Stephon Diggs. Man, that's not the right name. Uh, what, what, Maybe he's a one year deal. Yeah, Maybe. I mean, and I don't think it would happen till after the draft. To be honest, I don't think they're gonna sign anybody else till after the draft. But it's our good. The numbers for corners after thirty are not uh, promising. Those guys right. tend to fall off. It's why you see a guy still out there like that. Uh, but he's still played at a good level. I think if it happens, it'd probably be a one year deal because the Bengals don't sign thirty plus year olds, but. Again, this is like they should be changing how they do it because they're in a unique window that they haven't been in with a lot of cap space still. Go sign these guys. Go, right. Even if it was just a depth, um, Fabian Moreau, Washington corner, fifth guy, you, you should be actively still trying to fill out this roster a little bit more. than Flowers. They, <laughs> Right. There's plenty of guys, and, and maybe they want to go in a different route than that. You know, fine, but I still feel like corner needs another player. Three tech D tackle. You have BJ Hill, and that's it. There's not another guy on the roster, and you probably need two more guys that can play defensive tackle at that position, not just nose tackle like Reader and Shelvin and Tupo uh, really are. Uh, you need to add more bodies to uh, to a lot of this team. I think tight end is 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 kind of weak. I think your fourth, fifth, sixth receiver, they're, they could be off the roster if you make good draft picks or sign other guys. So I. Depth wise, I'm still real concerned and, and hoping they still come out, come away with a couple guys right before the draft. All right, since you brought up tight end here, Greg wants to know the tight end mid round fit for the Bengals. Yep. Let me pull up. I'll pull up my sheet real fast so I don't say the wrong name here. Uh, I did watch tight ends and I just finished out their, their grading sheet. And I'll give you a couple names mid round that I like. I like Charlie Kohler out of Iowa State. He's one of the few guys here that is 6'7, 252. So he's got size. A lot of these guys are. Um, pseudo receivers that are 6'4 and 235, 245, and they're kind of light, you know, but right. Kohler actually has size to him. 6'7 um, will make you a good red zone target. <laughs> indeed. And he ended up being a 91st percentile athlete, 81st percentile in his production scores. So, I mean, like, there's, if you like him on tape, go watch Charlie Kohler. If you like him, which actually PFF grades are really high on him too, go ahead and, and turn the key on that guy wherever you feel it's worth it. There's a couple other here. Greg Dolchich out of UCLA, I like. And, uh, I don't know if he's going to be there, and this is a guy that, that was being talked about on Twitter a bunch today, uh, Jelani Woods out of Virginia Tech. If like He's a 10 out of 10 for a freak athlete. Looks like a power forward. You could just throw it up to this guy. Uh, he's probably going to go. I, th- I feel like those guys that get drafted or that test like that, because that's the underrated thing about tight end. It's one of the most conclusive data points is if you have a very athletic tight end, they end up being a good player. You need right. that speed. If you run anything slower than four, seven, five, not only will the Bengals not draft you, you're not going to be a good receiver in this league. So you can just like eliminate all those guys. It has almost never happened that a four, seven plus four, seven, five plus guy ends up being a good receiver. So like you need the speed, you need the size 
And I like when they have college production at a high level. And there's some of these guys like Trey McBride and others that did it at a smaller school. Um, but I, the guy I was dying to talk about, Jelani Woods, when you test the way he, he does and look the way he does, I think he's going to get pushed up into mid-round two. And I think that's going to end up being too high. All right, Dale here wants to know, uh, ranking for the Bengals at 31, Trey McBride, Nagobi Dean, Kyler Gordon, David Ogood, you know what Ojabo. Ojabo, thank you, and Piron Winfrey. Yeah, I would probably – this is tough. Um, I'd probably have Kyler Gordon number one and Nicobe Dean number two, Trey McBride number three, and the hard ones I'm thinking of the last two because Ojabo is a defensive end from Michigan. Mm-hmm. He, he uh, basically played one year, had, had a good year, uh, super athletic, tore his Achilles at his pro day. So you're not going to get him until December, and he needs yeah. reps. I mean, he's yeah. raw. So, like – what are you doing with that pick? If you make that pick there, he's, the guy's not going to help you this year at all. And he's going to waste the year of development as well. And, and, and he's, he has to develop and get better already right. even before he came, he hurt his Achilles. Exactly. So I think it's going to push him into mid round two. Perry on Winfrey defensive tackle from Oklahoma. Uh, he only ran as 40 and he ran fast as hell, like a four, eight, three. Uh, he looks like a linear defensive tackle, which means uh, he's a bit tight hipped by a bit. Um, high cut. So I don't think his agility would have been very good at all. That's why he didn't do those tests. And when you watch him at Oklahoma, he has got like no pass rush plan. He's just going to go and be an athlete and try and win. And he does win a lot because he is an athlete. Uh, But against the run, like I think it was a lot of it is that conference and what Oklahoma was asking him to do. But I don't think I've ever seen him defend the run once in in any games I put on, not not one time. And like, he's just not going to do it or they just don't care. Uh, But they kind of need an athletic, pass rusher inside and i could see that pick being in round two uh what was the other guy uh that we didn't talk about nicobe dean old linebacker yeah. from georgia yeah he's kind of undersized i but he's like a swiss army knife for that defense a really good defense at georgia i don't know that i want to take a linebacker even though i do like him a lot i just don't want don't to take a linebacker. need a linebacker our linebacker room is pretty good i mean that, that's i think we're pretty set i think a couple of years we're gonna have to because i I don't think we're right. going to keep everybody, but right now. Brad's in the last year of his deal. They may extend him if not, but you also can all like Dean did so much and in, in coverage as a blitzer. I mean, just doing, they could enhance the, what they do on defense and play with more three linebackers and maybe to that defensive tackle hole that they have. Maybe they don't worry about it and do more three, three, five defense uh, and use three linebackers instead, which I think, you know, it's kind of hard to project their draft this year because I think like John Sheeran today from Cincy jungle had a great video. I don't know if you saw it on Twitter, but he talked about if we're so worried and this kind of goes off your last question too, we're so worried about Higgins and, and, and Burrow and chase and extending those guys. And even if we feel confident, they do sign all those three and they're spending a hundred million dollars on three players. How do you fill out the rest of the roster and how do you, how do you do it and, and, and keep it as a good team or good enough to keep those guys carrying this team and he makes it makes a good point like you shouldn't be maybe it's not drafting to fill corner and defensive tackle and left guard maybe it's drafting to replace jesse bates right maybe it's drafting to replace uh pratt or logan wilson because you don't want to you don't you're not going to extend those guys maybe it's drafting uh to replace tyler boyd and and you know move him or get him off the, the roster so you can extend these other players and i like that that makes a lot of sense. So you're not drafting to win right now. You're drafting to keep the roster afloat with talent that you project to lose. So if you made a list of guys we cannot lose right. and guys we're comfortable losing, well, then you're going to start drafting those positions of the players you're comfortable losing. Exactly. And that, that, that's funny because that's exactly what I've been saying because I because I, I am worried about 
Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, keeping these guys. And that's where I say we, we draft for depth to because they're not going to be able to keep everybody. They're they're just not. You know, you know, age. What I mean, especially with the defense of all the free agents that they signed. That's where they built the defense on is mostly free agents. They have to be able to replace these guys with younger guys, cheaper guys, because Joe Burrow, uh, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins are going to cost you more money. They're just going to, and that's that's exactly what I've been saying is is draft for depth. Now, I'm saying that I still am the draft William Linnebog number one, <laughs> the 31. I want I want him if he's there. But that's 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 my whole my philosophy that I've been saying the last couple of weeks is to do that is to draft. And people are like, you don't have to worry about the future. I'm like, you always have to think about yeah. the future. You always do. If you're running a, a football team or any kind of business in general, you have to think about the future. And that's where the Bengals are at. And that's where I think they've done such a good job with the contracts of the guys they signed. None of them are huge money. I mean, Ted Karras, everybody's like, oh, he's a center. He's great. But yeah, they didn't. I mean, nothing gets Ted Karras. He's a, he's a really good player. They didn't pay him a ton of money. I mean, no. Lyle Collins, I think he's got the exact same amount of money he got with Dallas. And they can Cal- cut him any time now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They really did not spend a lot on any of these guys. Uh, they're all very affordable. Um, the cap pits are a little bit high because that's how the Bengals structure their contracts. But really, they're not getting huge money on the O-line. And that's also why, if you look at it, like how to build and plan the roster, Jonah Williams is really the only guy they're going to have to extend or make a decision on. These other guys are going to play out their deals and then be gone because they're on their second deals, right? Or in third, depending on how you look at Lael Collins. But um, because they're in the, the second half of their, their 20s, when they, they get to 30, 31, you just let them go. That's how it works. You're, you're buying second contract players. The only real draft investment on the offensive line is, is currently until they get Tyler Linderbaum at 31, right? Exactly. It's going to be right, Jonah Williams. But it's also why Linderbaum makes sense. Right. Is because Jonah would get an extension, and then four years later, Linderbaum would get the extension. These guys, other guys would be gone. Um, so you'd really only be paying two guys on the offensive line. So right. when you look at it that way, um, I think what they did in free agency makes a lot of sense. None of them inhibits what they want to do in the draft at all. You want to take an offensive lineman, there's still an open spot. You want to draft a, a corner, there's still a spot there with Eli Apple only getting $4 million a year. Um, and at defensive tackle, even BJ Hill is probably the biggest contract they gave out. But this guy's 26 years old. He's going to play his four years and then be gone. Fine. And, and again, the, you need another D tackle to play next to him. Uh, so, you know, I, I think it leaves them open in a lot of ways. Now, let's get to back to some of the comments here. John Wick. And, of course, we can get back, back to my Bearcats here. And, th- and I actually got into a little Twitter conversation with James Rapine today about Kobe Bryant. And I think they did a mock draft uh, Monday. I know you were on the show yesterday. Mon- the Monday they did a mock draft. And they had – Kobe, they had a chance to draft Kobe in the third round. They decided not to because they thought he's more of a fourth rounder. And I'm like, hold on a second here. Like Kobe Bryant, like he had Sauce Garter on his, on one side, so they never threw to Sauce. They always threw to Kobe, and Kobe held his own. And yes, it's the American Athletic Conference. Yada yada yada. I understand that, but to me, if Kobe's there in the third round, I'm taking him all day because I think there's a shot by the end of this year. He could be starting o- over uh, Eli Apple. And there's nothing against Eli Apple. I mean, maybe Eli Apple gets even better, improved upon what he did last year. I don't know, but Kobe can give him a run for his money. I think. What's your thoughts? You got you, locals could be overrating um, some Cincinnati Bearcat guys. I think that there, there maybe a little bit right there. There is some of that. Uh, I know how it goes. Uh, just like we get a lot of questions about Ohio State guys, and mm-hmm. sometimes they're a little overrated. And depending <laughs> on where you some some guys fall one way or the other on their fandom there, but. I do like Kobe Bryant, and maybe he is a third or a fourth rounder, but I think that is the range. 
Uh, I wouldn't nitpick too hard. If I haven't drafted a corner by the third round and he was the best guy there, that wouldn't be a problem. Uh, I think we'd want someone more athletic. I'll give you the numbers we got here. He's a 56 percentile athlete based on his testing. You'd probably want a, a faster, more athletic dude than that, uh, you know, in, in most cases. But again, we're talking third or fourth round, right? So we can't get too picky. The guys are going to have some issues. The good thing about him is production scores, which take into account his tackles and plays on the ball. So passes defense, um, interceptions, forced fumbles, solo tackles, and it's a market share thing. So how many tackles do you have uh, congruent to your teammates around you? And the way this this is predictive and, and has predictive value for how these guys produced in college and how well they're going to produce in the NFL. He comes in at 77 percentile, which is pretty good and above average. Um, so you got those two things for him. Here's a, here's a nugget for you, though, as I was putting in PFS data today. His completion percentage against Kobe Bryant was 44%. So far, it's the best of the 10 guys I've put in. Right. You want to throw at Kobe Bryant, you're throwing at 44%. That's pretty good. Uh, he graded you really well. You're making me smile, Joe. I like that. I know. <laughs> he had an 85 coverage grade this year from PFF. 83.6 against the run. He was really, really good against the run. And as a tackler, 81.1, which is also the highest of the 10 corners I have in here. So, I do think he could fit in a lot of ways. When I watched him, yeah, I thought he's fine. I thought he's a you know mid round pick guy that maybe could be a little bit more. I, w- I was hoping he was going to test really well and then like be a second round pick, you know, because mm-hmm. his numbers are really really good. Right. Uh, and so right, if he's a third round pick, I got no problem there. The other guy, uh, I have no idea who he is. I haven't watched him at all. I've got nothing on him. So uh, with that question there, sorry, buddy. You tell me all about him. I'll listen. Yeah, I I, I wasn't sure who it was. I just I knew I knew uh, I knew who Kobe was. That's why I just asked that one. I was like, I don't know. All right, we got one here from Haas. He goes, uh, I'm starting to like uh, Marcus Jones, cornerback out of Houston. More each time I think about it, uh, some because uh, he's a punt returner. What yeah, that's exactly that? it's exactly why you'd be interested is because is he's a punt returner. Not that he's a bad corner. I'm going to bring up his stuff too real quick. Um, but he's an electric punt returner. Like this, You instantly get a guy that probably since Pac-Man Jones has been that dangerous as a return man. But he's a slot corner, I think, and that's the problem. So, like, where's he going to go? Yeah, I think there's a chance he goes second round because of that return ability. Maybe it's third round. Maybe it's, you know, Bengals pick so late in the second. All my evaluations of what I think is each round is kind of off a little bit. But um, maybe it's a third round pick. And at that point, do you really care if the guy's a slot guy or outside? You, you draft him and, you know, someone's going to play. Someone's going to get hurt. You're going to figure it out. Um but again, I'm Marcus Jones out of Houston here. So the the other thing about him, the why is a slot? He's five eight one seventy four. So five eight. The Bengals have um, anyone under 94 percent of the corners they've drafted since two thousand one have been above five ten. Um, he's got twenty eight point eight, twenty eight point nine inch arms. The Bengals have never drafted anyone under thirty point seven five inch arms. Right. I've got all this data here for you, Strawberry. Right. I like so it. Like, I like it. Right, and I, these are what I call thresholds. So if they're right. below these thresholds, you can usually eliminate them. And I'll do an average, like what I the average tight end they drafted came up the one year. It was Drew Sample. They drafted Drew Sample. Like you can usually get a pretty good idea of, of the guys they're looking at by eliminating the players that are below their thresholds. Um, and it's a loose thing. So sometimes a guy's still there in the fifth round. And you're like, you know what, screw it. I don't care if his, his arms are 29 inches. Right. We'll take him because we right. think on tape he's a second-round player. Um but Marcus Jones also, he had an 82.7 coverage grade from PFF, uh, or I'm sorry, 86 is, is is his cover grade, 83 versus the run, 89 in 2020. So he's even better in 2020, and he had a 49% completion percentage against him. So he was good in coverage. But I think he's a slot guy. His best value to the Bengals would be as a returner until, like, 
you know, Mike Hilton's gone in two years and, and Jones would be the guy there. So I could see it happening that way. Right. Now, I, now this is one that, another thing that, that I've brought up. And I, again, I watch tape. I, I, like I said, I don't watch a lot of tape, but I watched tape and it was on a punter. And this is, this is going to be, if Jake Lisco is watching, which I know Jake loves talking about drafting punters and kickers and everything, but Matt Ariza, uh, the punter out of San Diego state, I've done uh, multiple uh, mock drafts here and he's usually there in the fifth or sixth round. Mm-hmm. To me, when you have a guy who can punt the ball and his his heels are on the end zone and he can punt it to the five-yard line, that's a guy you take a chance on. That's a game changer. I know people tell me, we got Christian uh, Christian Ponder. Or Christian Drew Christian. Christian. You're close, though. Christian Ponder, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're wrong. Drew Christian. We got him. Too many, too many names going in my head sometimes. We got Drew Christian, which and there's nothing wrong with him. I think he's going to be a fine punter. But when you have a chance to get a kid like this, it's kind of like drafting you know, Evan McPherson. Right. I, and I know Evan McPherson, they, they drafted him more because they traded back and had more picks, so they were more comfortable taking him. And if they trade back, which who knows, they might, the Bengals trade back a lot, this yeah. could happen. But what's your thoughts on drafting uh, Ariza in the like fifth or sixth round? Yeah, the thing for people that maybe haven't watched a punter from Arizona State, or it wasn't Arizona State, what's the school? San, San Diego, Diego State? State. Yeah. 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 Which you probably haven't watched him unless he makes highlight reels and they come across your Twitter feed, which he does. I mean, mm-hmm. he's probably got the freakiest leg I have ever seen in my life. And the guy was a field goal kicker as well and kicked yeah. 50 yarders for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's also the negative is he doesn't have a lot of experience holding, which I think the Bengals will value with it because how much they value Evan McPherson and really how much they value um, Huber. I think that's yeah. a big part of people are like, well, Huber's getting, you know, kind of shoddy there at the end of his career. And I'm like, yeah, but he also is the guy holding for all those great Evan McPherson kicks. They may have a good chemistry. Right. Um, but I do I do want to talk about the idea of getting a punter like that. I think he's so freaky, he could end up being a third-round pick, and that'd be too rich for the Bengals. I don't yeah, think they I, would be interested yeah. in it. Right. Mm, but okay. I think some team could because they may see him as a dual punter kicker not that that's ever really worked out but he may even have value as a developmental kicker for some teams so and he tackles well, people too <laughs> he does tackle people too which i don't want that i don't want i don't, yeah, I don't want to do that in the nfl like you just stand back there and kick the ball <laughs> that means 10 other guys failed on that play but uh <laughs> exactly. what i wanted to say is the the advantage you would get from having a punter like that think about this the few times the Bengals actually have to punt the ball because we're they're going to score every drive. We know this. Yeah, 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 they're, right. They're, I mean, right. realistic. They're going to put forty up. I think. Oh yeah, every time. Right. 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 Go ahead. What are you talking right. about? <laughs> so <laughs> point is, the few times they do have to punt, think about flipping the field for a minute. And coaches talk about this all the time. And I don't even believe the flipping field thing. I don't give a shit. I think you you, you throw a bomb to T Higgins or Chase, and next thing you know, the field's flipped. Okay. Right. And, right. and that that that's how you flip the field in today's NFL. Uh, whether that's for your team or against your team, Tyree killed 60 yards later and the field flipped, right? Right. Point is, when you do have to punt, and if you can bomb one and get a team inside the 10, and you're nowhere near the 50, because we I don't want to punt from anywhere from the 45 in. And I'm talking about our own 45. If you're near the 50, I want to go for it. And the way the Bengals operate, they're going for it. Fourth and one to open the, the Super Bowl. They went for it, remember? Right. Didn't convert it, but they don't care. That's, that's how the league's going. So right. the only time you need a punter, is when you fail from the 40 and, and back to your own end zone. Mm-hmm. And that's when you flip the field. So the, the guys with the strong legs, if you're punting from your own 25 because you failed on your drive completely, you go three and out, and you're punting, and you can get them instead of them getting the ball at their own 45, where now they're basically in scoring position, the other team, because they're going to go for it on fourth down, likely convert. They're going to be in field goal range within three plays. 
Instead, you put that team at their 20. And now they're they have to drive and actually drive in order to get points. The flip there is is so big because you only have to get to the 40 yard line for the Bengals to kick, to kick a long field goal because they have such a weapon and Evan McPherson. That would be a 57 yarder. They could probably even go to 45 in some of these. And some he's going to right. hit at 60 in his career. He's going to eventually. Yeah. Yeah. He's a young man. He's, he's just a kid so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you, you see my point there and on the yeah. advantage there. Now you're flipping, you're getting that team out of field goal position. And you're almost always in field goal position with how explosive they were on offense and with Evan McPherson. I mean, that swing could be three points a game. And that that can be all you need to squeak out two or three more wins. And that's probably way overvaluing what a punter can do. But the guy is so rare. But the way the AFC North and the AFC in general is stacked right now, every little advantage you can get is going to help this year because because Joe I'm calling the AFC the the, the varsity and the NFC is the JV I mean everybody's yeah. going to the to the AFC you know so yeah. every little advantage you can get I, I'm taking I mean they're and gonna I, have to I think this advantage only really maximizes because they have McPherson right you know what I'm saying like be, because you almost always are ready to kick a field goal with McPherson off of one big play mm-hmm. and if you don't you're gonna take the other team out of out of field goal range so right. Like that is so huge. It's going to make a difference. And he's valued more to me for the Bengals because of McPherson. Whereas I think for another team that maybe doesn't have a strong, like if you got Randy Bullock and the Titans and they draft Ariza, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to watch him punt the ball. Great. <laughs> exactly. Now let's now I brought it up a little bit here. Let's get, let's get to the Bengals offense. And I know last year, you, me and Zim were all on the same page that we thought the Bengals could average about 40 points. Now people on my show kept asking like, when's this going to happen? Why can't we ever get consistent? And I kept saying once once our offensive line gets consistent and the times when the Bengals offense exploded, that's when the offensive line played the best, you know. And now that we have just with the guys we have, we're not talking about line of ball or any of that stuff. The guys we have right now, Joe, we got a chance. There's a very good chance we can average 40 points a game. I, I'm well, 30 is a lot. 30 is, should be the, the, the aiming point. Right, right? How, about, how, about 30, how about 35? <laughs> you would still be – you'd be like the greatest show on turf with 35, which sure – I'm with you. Let's do this shit. Like I'm not, I'm just, I mean, right. I'm shooting for 30 where they're at just yeah. 28 or some change in between in there, uh, a more consistent 30 to 32 points a game. You're going to win 12 games. And that's what the chiefs bills. These are what these, these top offenses are averaging. So if you can get to that range and because you're going to be playing so many good quarterbacks in the AFC, you better be ready to score 30 yeah. on any, at any point. You better be, have the output of being able to score 45 at any time. And I think that's what you mean there. I want to have the high upside of scoring 40 all the time. Like they did against the Ravens, right? Let's keep doing that. That's the offense I want to see both times. Uh, but you're right. And I, I think it was the offensive line that held him back. Obviously Burrow coming back and regaining his strength and health right. had a lot to do at the beginning of the year. Uh, and then Higgins missed a chunk of time, which I think affected Jamar chase and the rest of the passing offense. So then, um, you know, once everyone was healthy, you saw the output was was higher up. Then the, the year got cold, and you know, bad weather happens, and, and things happen. But well, you're, you're right. Thing too is, is when when it gets cold and you can't throw the ball as much with having the offensive line. I don't know, Joe Mixon will have some holes to run through. I mean, Joe, he could actually make a cut his first cut beyond oh, be the offensive line. That'd be the first time in his. Bengal career, and that that could consistently happen. He can run to the right. He can run to the left. He can run to the center. There's going to be holes for Joe Mixon to run through, and and to me, I don't think he's going to get any more carries. I think there's going to be more quality carries. Oh yeah, than, that's than, definitely. 
Yeah, it's gonna be so his average. I think his average is gonna be higher this year than it's been in any, any part of his career. Oh, I agree. This is the best offensive line he's ever had, and he runs well in Frank Pollock's scheme. We've seen that now for two years. Uh, I I agree. I I don't want more carries, more running, and and that's kind of the way of the past. You know, I, I'm gonna offend some people that may be 45 and older. Uh, sling it, baby, sling it. <laughs> but you just don't win like that anymore. You can control games. You can close out games. It is still a valued member of the offense. Still a valued finger on the hand, but it is not the driving force of scoring points and winning games anymore. And because of it, I don't want to see them running more because they can. Like, it felt like last year, they're like, okay, we can't run. We'll just throw it. Let it, we'll let Joe sling it, right? Because right. they get in those moments where it's like, well, nothing's happening here. Right. We're running into a brick wall. All right, Joe, uh, beat the Niners finally in the second half. And they come right back. Right. So I don't want them to be like, okay, we're running fine. We're running four and a half a clip. We're good. Let's, keep, let's still roll with it. Now, if you can, great, keep doing it. But running game by its nature can be erratic. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it could be a nine-yard run and then a no-yard run, and that's a, your 4.5 average. That's how math works, apparently. I don't know. I didn't go to college. But, <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, <laughs> right, the point is I don't want them to, to lean on the run too much or become more of a running team because now they're more equipped to run. I think, to be honest with you, in, in terms of the players they've acquired, Kappa and Collins are better run blockers than they are pass blockers. I right. think if you got a Tyler Linderbaum right now, he's a better run blocker than pass blocker. They are still all collectively upgrades at, at what they had out there. Oh, for, mm-hmm. Right. For, for in pass blocking, but mm-hmm. there's those guys strengths are uh, in the run game. So I think you could become a much better running team without being a more frequent running team. And I think that's how you become a better offense. Yeah. Now one of the, well, actually let me bring up Augie's comment here. I don't want to get to Hayden Hurst, but he says uh, when Mixon gets 20 plus touches, we have a ridiculous record. I don't know what the record is offhand, but I know it's pretty high. You know, what's the thing about that is though, can we talk about that while we got a minute? Yeah, go for it, man. That's kind of uh, a false stat, right? When you guys run the ball because you're winning teams run the ball when you're winning at the end, you, you start feeding them carries like every running back in the league, every team in the league, when you have 20 plus touches, they got a winning record. Doesn't matter. Right. Bengals had a winning record when Mixon had 20 plus touches when they were winning three games a year, four games a year. It's because you do that because you're winning or because yeah, you're in, in control. Control. right. Right. Yeah. You're in control of the game. You're trying to run the clock. So that's just kind of how that works. It the record is strong, but it also is just reflective of the of the games. Right. Exactly. So with with uh, the way the offense is going to run this year and the the offensive line, I think that record is going to increase <laughs> for Mixon. Oh, yeah. We're going to win a lot of games, and we're and when you get the lead, you play keep away, take the air out of the ball. Good. You know what the other part is because remember how many games they come out and started real slow, right? Oh, yeah. And we'd oh, be yeah. like, what is like? going on? Like yeah. uh, the you think of the Lions game, they blew the Lions out. But we're sitting here after a quarter, like God, that was wrong with this offense. Fire <laughs> Zach Taylor if you're if you're on Twitter at the time, people right. are losing their minds. But as part of it is because they typically came out and wanted to run the football and establish a physical offense. They still have that mindset of doing that. And so now when you could be a more efficient running team, next thing you know, you're up because that running game is not killing your offense in the first half the way it was plenty of times. Uh, they're going to come out and probably be a more effective running team, a lot of gifts. And we've been talking about the benefits of the passing attack. They couldn't get to a, a third read. It was bing, bang, run, right. Joe, or try and make something happen. And Joe can have a five-step drop. He, it, he, he, that was even the arsenal last yeah. two years. <laughs> Think yeah. of the last play in the Super Bowl. And oh, I, I know you don't want to, but no. please. <laughs> but yes, I, I, I know. It, For the point play, here. There's so, two guys are open. Both of them. Good. So you look at the play and you look at a pre-snap and you see we've got middle of the field closed. 
Yep. Well, we've got double slants, and you can normally take that if it's man coverage. I can take the the, the outside guy, and you got um, Chase on the right lined up one on one with Ramsey, and Ramsey's pressing, and he hasn't pressed all year. You know, like they're like, okay, based on this, I'm going to take my double slants on the left side, and that's Burroughs how he's got to think about it because the offense is that bad that he's, and that's how offense is today. You you predicate where you're going with the ball based on the pre-snap read. As long as the defense doesn't change it as you're snapping, they're going to rotate into something different. You got to be able to quick think, okay, that's not it. Bang, I'm going the other way. Um, what the Rams do there, so Joe is going, okay, I got double slants to the left. He's in with a flat concept, too. I shouldn't mention that, too. Ozama could have been open there. But point is, so he takes a snap, bang, okay, still single coverage. I'm going to the slants. He goes to turn. They doubled both guys. That happens sometimes. The The Rams knew what the Bengals were going to run, and they jumped on it and, and tried to cover it up. So, so Burrow goes, okay, boom, I'm going to turn and go to my right guys here because everyone's to the left, and I'm just – I think he's going to chuck it up to to Chase if he can, um, which in an alternate universe, man, that's such a great play and a great feeling. But the point of that is because of the way the offense was structured, it was basically be clean on your pre-snap read, confirm it post-snap, get the ball out. That's all you have time for. Mm-hmm. And because he couldn't and didn't, you look at the way that Quentin Spain was beat at left guard, right? He gives up the outside shoulder. The one, way, the one side don't get beat on. He got beat on. <laughs> and Donald is a freak. He's the best defense player I've ever watched. Right? He won that game. He took it over. But Quentin Spain is told on that play to, to jump set, which means as soon as the snap, boom, get out, get your hands on the guy. You want to make contact instantly. You want to stall him, and the ball's going to be out. So three-step right. drop ball is out. They're all expecting the ball to be out. Once he misses, tried to get a shoulder, try to, uh, he thinks the ball's out. I mean, yeah. it, in his defense, I know he got beat by the best player in the league, but in his defense, all year the Bengals have gotten the ball off mm-hmm. and vertical routes too. I actually posted like six touchdowns the Bengals threw this year on the same concept where Burrow takes the snap bang, throws it, and, that, and the left guard's getting beat on a jump set the way Quentin Spain was or the right guard. I, I was posting there. So point being is the offense was so built from the O-line to the receivers to the quarterback that you can't get to read number three. That's it. You get back there, you throw it. If not, you run or make something happen or you scramble. You dance around in the pocket like a crazy man and try and find someone open. And he did that a bunch, and they were successful with it. Now they'll actually be able to build an entire offense with this offensive line. And they'll actually be able to go and say, okay, these are your first two reads, but if it's not there, comfortably get back to your backside guy and hit the touchdown and win a damn Super Bowl. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, I can see it. I can see it. Dude, dude, that's why I I was so – like I, I, I've told this story before, but when when they were going after Lil Collins, I was on vacation. Of course, the week I'm on vacation, I didn't do a show. That, that was what last time I was gonna have you on, and I just I, right. couldn't, I couldn't get it to work out that Friday. And I'm dying trying to find out what's going on. I'm like, man, if we get this dude, because I didn't want them to, I wanted them to trade for him. I was always worried if he got to free agency, he was gonna cost too much money, and we weren't gonna get him. But they got him, and, and and Joe, I was so I've never been more happy to have a right tackle ever in my entire life. I mean, he's the best right tackle we had, I think, in my opinion, since Willie Anderson. I mean, oh yeah, that, that kind of, the right and Andre right Smith was decent. I, I'm glad you said that because because people always get like people consider Andre Smith a bust. Like he wasn't a he bust. Wasn't no, he was wasn't the left tackle that you know they thought he would be at first. But he was a fine right tackle. He didn't need to be a left tackle. We had Wentworth at right. the time. Right. He gets. I think he gets a bad rap. I mean, he, some people tell me he's the Bobby Hart. I'm like, there's no. He's nowhere close to no. Bobby Hart. And he played ten years in the league. In fact, I think he might have still been on a roster last year at the at camp or in the beginning of the season, um, which would make it eleven years. Mm-hmm. He was at his height when he was healthy and 
in good shape because that was really the biggest issue. Um, he was a fine right tackle, actually, and their their offense was humming, and he wasn't the weak link. I, at, at, you know, in those years, it was uh, Russell Bodine at center. And, you know, before that, a little bit Kyle Cook, Nate Livings. It wasn't Andre Smith. Andre Smith was fine. Man. The weird part about it was he was rotating with Dennis Roland and Anthony Collins. I remember that stuff? Yep. Yeah. And so it always made you go like, what are they doing? Why don't they trust them? <laughs> right. And it was more of a, I think, trying to shot to get him to make sure he stayed motivated. But uh, right. Andre Smith was fine. And the problem is he was a sixth pick, but if you go back and look at that draft, it was a weak draft, so the Bengals made the decision to take a guy they thought would be at least a starter. Right, right. Which I mean, they got it right. He he was a starter for us, and then he because yeah. he did because he left and came back, if I remember right, for for a one last year with the Bengals. He did, yeah. Because remember they Cordy Glenn got hurt, or is that yes. the time he didn't show up? Either well, way, yeah. he ended up playing left tackle for them, which he never played left tackle, and he held his own a little bit. So right. Um, no, no ill will towards Andre Smith. No, I, I, I like. I think Andre Smith had a very, very good uh, career. Real quick, one more thing. I've been trying to get to this, and then I'll let you get out of here. We've been almost on an hour, so I appreciate you. But um, the other thing I think about the offense where we improved upon, and I, and I'm prefacing this. I love CJ Uzama. I, I, he's one of my favorite Bengals. But I think Hayden Hurst is going to be a better receiver and a better fit for this offense because of the things he can do as far as his route running. They can split him out wide. They have multiple facets to his game. Now, other than blocking, he's not as good a blocker as CJ. But yeah. that's another reason I think our offense is going to be even better than last year because we have Hayden Hurst. Yeah, I like Hurst for those reasons, too. I do think he's a little more athletic, a little more fluid, and he runs better routes, and he's, he's got strong hands. And not that Uzama doesn't, but, uh, you know, I, I think Uzama had his best year completely. I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. I just mean, like, I think that's his upside. That's his, his maximum. Um, Hurst had his best year two years ago with the Falcons before they drafted Kyle Pitts last year, a really high freak player, right? And because Kyle Pitts is that kind of move tight end and Hayden Hurst is that move tight end, which I, the difference being a wide tight end is the guy that's on the line and he's going to block and he's going to be true sample, right? He, he's That's what his role is versus a guy that you're going to flex out wide, put him in the slot, you know, um, block a little bit on backside stuff or, you know, climb him to the second level or, he, or he's giving help more, more often um, to – help out the right tackle or whatever. That's where Hayden Hurst is. That's where Uzama turned more from a move guy into a Y guy. He really got much stronger. He ended up being a really good blocker. If you remember coming out of Auburn, he was coached. He didn't have a tight ends coach. There. Yeah, he, there, yes. he had a running backs coach teaching him how to block in, in the right. position, which you could see that development needed to happen and why it happened over that long career he had with the Bengals. He ended up uh, being a fine second contract for them, actually a decent deal. Uh, I do think they can get a little bit better receiving with Hurst. It seemed like connection with Burrow and Uzama was just there. So hopefully that same thing. I mean, CJ caught his first touchdown pass, I think. Yeah, if we can't like really quantify how much of that connection really impacts the chase in Burrow, maybe we'll see that at tight end too. And maybe, you know, we'll see how the Aiden Hurst-Joey Burrow connection develops. But it's also why I think they may be a little bit less versatile with that tight end position because he can't do everything Uzama did in terms of being physical. Right. True, true, true. All right. Well, like I said, you've been on almost an hour. I appreciate it. So hopefully uh, when the uh, Buffalo Bills uh, play the Cincinnati Bengals this year, you and Glenn oh, we're here. Can, yeah. can make, make the trip down. And like I said, I was telling Glenn yesterday, we're going to have the, the Buffalo uh, Cincinnati Olympics. You know, we started by throwing orange arrow through a table. That's going to be the, the opening ceremony. And then we're going to do, do like a dildo toss and all kinds of things. Oh, like yeah. Buffalo does, you know. So <laughs> it's going to be a great time. So I, I think we should definitely – Tweet they don't. Hey, are, you, are you saying they don't toss dildos in Cincinnati? Uh, 
I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I just don't nah. know of it. I wouldn't put a pass to that at all. <laughs> Who? Okay, so they're tossing that at Tom Brady. Right. Who would Cincinnati fans toss the dildo at? Oh, it would have been Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah. Easily. <laughs> <laughs> it should have been a toilet seat. Right. Damn it. Why didn't we think of this? I don't know. Oh, man. That's too late now. We'll just have, we'll, we'll just have to toss it at uh, Taberski now, you know, because yeah. he's going to be he's gonna be a, a great quarterback for them. Anyway, I, I'm glad. I, only thing, I, 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 I'm I worried that uh, uh, um, uh, Desmond Ritter, I am praying he does not get drafted by the Squealers. I, I, I will have to stop rooting for him then. Yeah, that'd be funny. Uh, I was gonna say throw out massage oil to uh to the Browns to for Watson. <laughs> oh my goodness, we get into so much with we haven't got into that. We can trouble. that, but we could talk for another another hour or so. But anyway, Joe, I appreciate you. Tell everybody where they can follow you at and whatever else you got going on, buddy. Don't follow me. Don't ask me any questions. None of that stuff. <laughs> That's it. If you if you're so inclined, if you if you like he's that, this, he's that Goodberry Ice. <laughs> yeah. If you like this sort of thing, this is how I kind of am uh, at Joe Goodberry at, on Twitter. So, oh yeah, real quick, what I was asking you, what's your favorite uh, uh, wing place in Buffalo? Duff's. Uh, they're one of the two most famous. They get a bad rap for some reason. Kind of been a little commercialized and and sprung out around the whole area, but I still think they're good. They're just not a very meaty wing, but I think their sauce and their frying is perfect. Mm. I, and I heard you tried to make some uh, uh, Cincinnati chili for your uh, Super Bowl party. It worked. It was good. It? Yeah, I'm, I've never had authentic Cincinnati chili, so I don't know. I, the difference. I, I, I know. Glenn said that too. I said, dude, next time you guys coming down, I'm hooking you up. I'll, I'll bring some Skyline or or us three will go out to Skyline or something, and I'll, you have some authentic. Uh, since that chili, so you can you can actually uh, try try and see if you actually like it. <laughs> My neighbor brought over um, a, pa- a care package. He came over to watch Super Bowl, and it was uh, it had Skyline, a can of Skyline. It had um, a bunch of you know Rheingeist breweries and things like that. Uh, so uh, I did try that Skyline chili in a can, and it was all right. So I'll try it. There you go. It's basically the same thing. All right. Well, Joe, I appreciate it, man. And as always, we're gonna do. You know, I'm a buggy. We're gonna do this again when we get closer to the season. Yes, sir, Jeff. Take care, man. All right, buddy. Who day? Who day? All right, guys. I hope you enjoy that. Like I said, I this has been Goodberry Week. I had Glenn yesterday. I had Joe on today. We got some big fill, shoes to fill tomorrow for tomorrow's guest, which I don't even. I, Jack, I look here. Let me see who is my guest for tomorrow. Now I'm doing this. It is. Oh yeah, Evan McPhillips. Not Evan McPherson. Evan McPhillips. So Evan, if you're watching, get some big shoes to fill. Though well, Evan is a great, great. Great follow on Twitter. Make sure you guys check him out too. Check out the Goodberries and all that cool stuff. And who, who knows? Maybe we'll have the uh, Buffalo Cincinnati Olympics here when uh, the Bills play the Bengals. We'll find out. Is it football season yet? Man, I miss football. Okay, let's get to the Facebook groups that let me live stream. And I appreciate every single one of you guys. We've got Hootay Nation, Hootay Legion, Cincinnati Reds, Riding Third, Heading for Home, Bearcat Country, Bearcat Ruckus. The Ohio State Bucknuts, the Ice Bar, and then you can follow me on all my social media platforms, all under Sports with Strawberry Ice. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Twitter handle is at Jeff A. Trinipole. TikTok is at Iceman90. I'll be pulling off the sound later on tonight, putting on the podcast. It'll be on Beanpot, Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcast. Please make sure you rate, like, and review. Give me a five-star review. I would greatly appreciate it. Leave a comment so more Cincinnati fans can find my podcast. YouTubers, we're at 1,547 subscribers. That is awesome. As always, I appreciate every single one of you guys. And like I said, if you're watching on Facebook, if you're watching on Twitter, and you haven't subscribed to my channel, and you enjoy what I'm doing, 
and you enjoy watching my show, go to the YouTube channel. Please hit the subscription button. It costs you nothing. It just helps me out. And hit the bell for notification. Every time I go live, you'll be notified. Other than that, you guys have a great day. Irma, you said you missed it. You can watch. The best thing about uh, YouTube is you can rewind it and watch it back. So check it out again. I'll see you guys tomorrow. And that's just sports, baby. See ya! No